Welcome back to the Mountains and the Sea. I'm Christy. This is Josh. We're so glad you're back with us today. We have started a new series. As of today, we're covering the 1999 album released in 1982. So ahead of its time. Very much so. About, what, 17 years? Yeah. Yeah. Give or take a little. Oh, yeah. Give or take a few months. Yep. It's good to be back on a proper Prince album. It has been a little while since we've done that. It has been a little while. We've been wrapped up in associated things and lotus flower stuff, and then Christmas happened, and we realized we needed to get back and cover Carmen Electra associated with the Love Symbol album, which Mm -hmm. we... Well, which you uh, rebooted and uh, added music clips to a couple episodes ago. Yeah. And then we immersed ourselves in the land of Electra for the last episode. And uh, while we found many things to enjoy, we are happy to move forward. <laughs> We're happy to move to Prince Proper. Proper Prince. Proper Prince. Not just Prince Canon. We'll, we'll get to more Prince Canon in a few episodes. We've got other related artists that we're going to be talking about yeah. in a few episodes. But today... We this get is to, historic. This is historic. A this landmark is, album. One of Prince's best recordings beyond question. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And this is really the album that kind of launched him into popular culture. Yep. I would say the previous album, he kind of found his sound, and uh, which was Controversy the year before, which was released almost exactly a year to the date that this double album was released, but he found that kind of Prince Lindrum sound that he's became known for in the 80s um, in parts of Controversy, and on 1999, he just mastered it and had some great pop songs, funk songs, rock songs, really smart single selections, uh, a tour, and then a couple associated artist albums in the time and Vanity Six that saw some success also. Um, so yeah, this one I would say is what launched him into stardom. Yeah. Superstardom would follow with Purple Rain for sure. But but I think that this and the popularity that he gained from this release and the smart single releases and the you know top 10 hits that came from this, uh-huh. that's what made Purple Rain really possible to be able to say i'm going to do a film and an album oh yeah if it hadn't been the success of this that might not have been something that would have been had all that money thrown at it so yes i agree however it was like risk upon risk upon risk to get there because i don't think you could look at his first um, handful of albums and say well, he's proven himself it's time for a double album. Right, you know, no. Between For You, Prince, Dirty Mind, Controversy. Um, you know, the most successful and popular songs came from his two earlier albums. Dirty right. Mind was kind of, there wasn't anything to put on the radio, really, on Dirty Mind. And Controversy was kind of a minor hit. So I definitely think there was a risk to be taken by Prince and by Warner Brothers to put out a double album. Agreed. So early, I mean, he had a lifetime of music almost recorded before this, but to commit to a double album was pretty incredible. Yeah, um, especially and, in the early 80s. That it was an expensive sort of thing. Yep, it made it know. pricier to own, um, for sure. When album sales were album sales, then it was, there were no streaming or downloads or any of that uh-huh. kind of stuff. Right. So yeah, the price of the LP was kind of a 
uh, barrier between you know him and success. This could have been easily been whittled down to a single album, but thankfully it was not. Yes. Um, speaking of the success of the album, since we're talking about that, in doing some research for our podcast, I didn't realize that the album itself was the first platinum double LP by a black artist since Donna Summer's Bad Girls in 1979 wow. and since Stevie Wonder's Songs in the Key of Life in 1976. Uh, so it was really a landmark for any artist, let alone a black artist, to have a successful double album. Uh, in addition to that, in the five years previous to 1999's release, there were only two double albums that even went platinum, period. And those were Fleetwood Mac's Tusk and Pink Floyd's The Wall, both from 1979. Wow. So between 1979 and 1982, when this album was released, there were no double albums that went platinum. 1999 huh. was the one. Oh, that's pretty interesting. I wonder how many double albums there were in that time period. That I did not look up. <clears throat> that's all right. I was just curious, you know, if it, there was only like four double albums mm. in between... Maybe not surprising, but yep. it doesn't matter because double albums, even if they were rare, for them to go four times platinum, which is what this album yes. has done in its lifetime, yep. is it's remarkable. pretty great. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Do you want to talk about the album cover art? Yes, yeah, absolutely um, I do. In my opinion, this is second only to Sign of the Times for best okay. album artwork on a Prince LP. That's And fair. it's a close second to me. Okay, okay. Um, well, there's so much to find oh, because yes. it's not this, just, I mean, it's always great to have a pretty picture of the artist whose album you're buying. Yep. That's always great. It's pretty normal. This has like millions of easter eggs you can look at it all day and keep finding something new yeah and so, it's i think it again and it was in the era of lps vinyl so right what so, you would get when you would buy this was probably a you know 12 by 12 inch image of this thing yeah um here we're cool. looking at like a whatever five by five inch yeah the cd, CD cover, cover instead yeah. it's less than half the size two copies we do have two One copies with DMSR and one without. Right. The original release on CD of 1999 omitted the fifth track, which was DMSR, because of the amount of music that could fit on the disc. And DMSR had been released already as part of the Risky Business soundtrack, so right. it was the obvious choice to omit from the album. It was already available on CD. Um, and then the album was re-released uh, years later, and one disc would, would hold the entire thing. So yeah. also interesting that it's considered a double LP, Still fits on one CD. Right. Um, so the album artwork itself is, I think, beyond iconic and was drawn, illustrated by Prince himself. Yeah, super fun. Mm -hmm. There's, you've got lips inside the P. There's... Like a futuristic city inside the P. Yeah. We've got a cloud guitar in the R. We have And the Revolution written backward in the mm -hmm. I, which yes. is also a one. Yes. Which is fun. Yep. The ends a pair of pants. Yeah, I wasted iconic Prince pants. Prince pants. Yep. You also have purple rain inside the tail of the pea. Oh, I didn't see that. Mm -hmm. Oh, cool. Very cool. And then we have an early love symbol at the bottom of the first nine. Yep. The love symbol that ended up on Prince's motorcycle in yeah. Purple Rain yeah. is drawn inside the first nine, which also contains... One of his eyes from uh -huh. the Controversy LP cover. Okay, as does the third 
The third nine. The third nine. Yep. And uh, his Rude Boy button from uh-huh. uh, the Controversy album cover is yeah. present as well. Uh, some people have said that the one uh, in 1999 <laughs> resembles male genitalia. Yep, I would say that's fair. It has a very mushroom sort of look to it. Yep, it's a celibate mushroom canopy. Ah, yes, nice, nicely mm-hmm. done. And then the whole background of it that's purple, this kind of really introduced purple as his color with stars on it and even the red stars that you can kind of go unnoticed that are in the background. Also very, very cool, fun to, you could, like you said, a lot of eye candy. Yeah. It's fun. You could just keep looking at this and keep finding something else. Mm -hmm. And what is that? What is that? I I do remember it being a long time before I noticed and the revolution inside Uh the uh, one, which is really the eye for Prince. Right. I don't, so maybe the one is, he was considering it the first album by Prince and the Revolution. He's number just, one. He's number one. Um, although this is, know. again, primarily a Prince composed and performed song with help on a few few tracks right. as far as instruments and uh, background vocals, but primarily is Prince. It's just, it's fascinating. Yep. And then if you flip that book over, there's Prince on a bed on the floor. Do you think that bed is round? It's hard to tell. It's dark, so it's difficult to see. It's and there's plenty dark. of smoke and neon and a crescent moon above him. And he's got his watercolors out with gloves on, <laughs> ready to paint you a sexy picture. Yeah, on the bed, on the floor, yeah, with his, his purple clothing laying on the floor next to it. Yep, and just the start of a princely butt crack. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, I like the cover better than that. So, <laughs> better than the picture. I mean, you know, he's a lovely, lovely man. But, I don't know, all the smoke and the neon and those Venetian blinds. Man, yeah, it looks it dates cheap. It, it dates it very much. <laughs> the illustration is just classic. And I know at this point, I think he had said it in one interview that he was tired of seeing himself on the cover of his album. So yeah. it was time to do something a little different. Yeah. Fair. You know, you Fair. end up with something that is like a piece of rock art history yeah. as the cover yeah. of the album. Well, I asked if the bed was round because you got me Famous People Who've Met Me by Owen Husney. Yes, who was mm-hmm. Yes, it's a book. Uh, you got it for me for Christmas, and it's a Prince's first manager right. uh, who wrote this book. And he had a fun story but in 1971, long before he met Prince. He was kind of starting to get into the promotion business. Okay. And Elvis Presley came to town and he really wanted to help in his capacity. Like he did like backstage food and security and different stuff like that for different artists that came to Minneapolis. Okay. And (laughs) he uh, was trying to get this Elvis gig. The man that he was working with wanted something special in the room that Elvis was going to stay in. Okay. So he fed, he got like the nicest room and, you know, a whole wing of the hotel had to be marked off and just for Elvis. Mm-hmm. And the manager walked into the room and he didn't like what he saw. He wanted something better okay. than what was there. It wasn't Elvis... It- caliber yet yeah so he went to his dad and asked his dad what am i gonna do and he said oh go talk to my this friend of mine who runs a furniture store 
he'll he'll have the right thing. He was mm-hmm. like, how is this old guy going to have the right thing for Elvis? Okay. So he went and talked to the guy, and the furniture store owner took him down to the basement and said, I have this round bed that oh. no one wants to buy. Oh, okay. <laughs> So he sold it to Owen, okay. including the sheets, for $25. <laughs> and Owen went and had the bed removed from the hotel room and had this big round bed put in, and the manager loved it, thought it was fantastic. Okay. And meanwhile, Mr. Husney had bought the bed. He owned it, so... Elvis slept on it for two nights, and then a radio station paid him $10,000 to be able to raffle it off and give it away. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. (laughs) So I was like, huh, it would make sense if the bed was round, because that would fit right in with Owen Husney's modus operandi right there. So that's the only reason I asked if you knew if it was round. I'm sure it's not the same bed, because obviously it was given away in 1971. Someone still owns that thing somewhere. Somewhere. Uh, Most of the album was recorded at the Kiowa Trail Home Studio and Sunset Stand in Hollywood. Right. It's listed in the album as recorded in Uptown and Sunset Sound. Uh, Uptown was his house. Mm -hmm. Sunset Sound was uh, his L.A. home, so to speak. He recorded a lot of music there. Right. Yeah, and it produced um, five commercially, commercially released singles. And I think the popularity of the album probably was helped greatly in that the first three songs, first four songs on the album were released as singles in some form or fashion. So if you went right. out and bought a double LP, you didn't have to wait 15 minutes into the album to hear the song you were waiting for. They were right in a row off the bat. Right. Single, 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 single. Right. Um, which really could get you into listening to the rest of the album. Right. And radio stations frequently would play the first three songs, 1999, Little Red Corvette, and Delirious, all together. Back to back. Back to back, just on the radio. So that made a big difference, too. You hear the first three songs, oh, it's worth going and buying this double LP, because I know I already like these first three songs. Yeah. It was almost like they said, well, let's play as much as we can before we'll get our license revoked, and then we'll stop. <laughs> but it had to do with the fact that the first three were I think it, singles. It, yes. I also think it might have been a um, stairway to heaven situation. Yeah, you know, like it's kind of it's a suite of songs. Um, and it's long, so if you're the only DJ at the... Oh, that's true. <laughs> And it you need to, you need a little bit of for, a break. That's right. Then you know you had you had okay. I know it's yeah. this long for yep. these three songs. Yep. This is when I have to be back. I need mm-hmm. to go get myself a cup of coffee or do whatever. And there yeah. you go. I've got sixteen minutes. Go. <laughs> yep. Blade Runner is credited in some places as sort of a entire album inspiration yeah there's that that film that futuristic film and then we watched an interview that bobby z gave to the current where he mentioned that the inspiration for the song 1999 came at the end of the dirty mind tour which would have been two years prior when the band was on tour Stopped at a hotel because they saw a sign that said free HBO. And that in, was a in every big room. deal in every room. Yep. So they stopped there and all of the band and Prince watched a documentary produced by HBO on Nostradamus. Yes, called The Man Who Saw Tomorrow. I may 
or may not have found a link for it. Oh, okay, cool. So if you're interested in watching the mm-hmm. documentary that, sort of a documentary, the show on HBO, yeah, that cause... helped inspire the song 1999, mm-hmm. I'll post a link about that. You can find us on Twitter at tmats t-m-a-t-s podcast you can find us on facebook the mountains in the sea a prince podcast or you can send us an email tmats podcast at gmail.com so speaking of music shall we talk about it yeah let's do that all right so like we said the first track is 1999 which title track which was the first single actually got released twice its first release it sort of sizzled Fizzled, I guess, not yeah, sizzled. It was like at the in the forties, like forty yes. two ish, somewhere around there. Yeah, but after the release and success of Little Red Corvette, it was re released and reached number twelve. Yes. So it kind of has the distinction. Actually it charted a number of it charted four times during the last twenty seven years. Thirty seven years. Thirty seven years. Then the last thirty seven years, like I said, <laughs> it, it charted four times uh-huh. on its first release. In 1982, its second release following the Let's uh, the Little Red Corvette single, and then in the year 1999, it charted again, and then of course in 2016 after Prince's death, streaming music and people you know having rekindled interest in his music charted a fourth time. That's incredible. So, very cool. So every decade. Yeah, yeah. Every uh, every decade. Um, uh, yes, eighties, well, nineties, and well, I oh, guess well, twenty teens. Teens. Yeah. So yeah. it averages out to once a decade, though it didn't. If it charted in two thousand, probably little, did at the end of the year. Yeah, at the yeah at the end of nineteen ninety nine. If it was yeah, still on the charts banned. in two thousand, sure. Then it would have charted in every decade. Yep. Uh, but commercial success and charts aside, very different direction um, as far as. Uh, an opening for a Prince album yeah. with the altered voice at the beginning. Yeah, Just... do you know how that altered voice was made? Please tell me. Oh, Jesse Johnson, mm-hmm. uh, who was a member of the time, yeah. had a Vox Wah, and Prince picked it up and started playing with it, and that's how that altered robotic voice came about at the beginning of that song. Jesse Johnson has a lot of stories of Prince borrowing his stuff. <laughs> To make music. Well, maybe he shouldn't have left his stuff lying around. That's true. Lock your door, Jesse. (laughs) You know Prince picks stuff up and uses it. So if you don't want him to, maybe you should put it in a drawer. Yeah. So whose voice is it saying, don't worry, I won't hurt you. I only want you to have some fun. Um, My understanding that it was Prince. I mean, I know it's Prince, but in the concept of the album opener, who is speaking to you in the apocalyptic end of the world where we all have fun and party in 1999 when you don't know the answer it's always aliens right i won't hurt you i only want you to have some fun oh aliens is the answer (laughs) aliens is the answer okay (laughs) all right so a martian serves as the (laughs) album opener for 1999 take note (laughs) 
I did not realize that this was the very last song recorded for the album, that all the other songs were put together, and Prince's management suggested that he write a more thematic song to kind of tie it all together. Mm -hmm. And the result was this song in 1999 that was recorded just a couple months before the album was released. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting to think of what was this thing called before 1999 was added to it. I couldn't even imagine what it would be called without that song there. It's difficult to think of. Me either. So the story goes that Prince recorded all the vocals between he and Jill Jones and Des Dickerson together for, or I'm sorry, Prince, Jill, Des, and Lisa all together for all the verses. Right. And then during mixing decided to separate them. So each person got a lead vocal part and he put himself last in line. Yeah. And that's where he felt like he had something unique and cool. Yeah. That was a homage, Mm -hmm. it's thought, to Stevie Wonder. Right. Uh, The You Are the Sunshine of My Life was a similar sort of song where other, where different people sang one line per. Yes. And... So that's kind of... Yeah, and Stevie saved his own voice for the last of the parade. Right. I was thinking about, um, you know, we covered Hit and Run Phase 1, which opens with Judith Hill singing Million Dollar Show, and all the uproar I remember uh, in Prince forums at the time of, well, I don't want to hear someone else singing and opening a Prince album and this was my thinking was, you know, you got that in 1982, and it's one of the most classic albums Prince ever <laughs> recorded. Um, so this was the first time he had done that, where you yep. heard someone else's voice before his on the opening of an album, but not the last time. No. Uh, the 1999, so now we know that it was inspired by this documentary from HBO. Right. But it's also thought that perhaps 1999 didn't necessarily only refer to the year. Okay. That it might refer to the doomsday clock. Have you ever heard of the doomsday clock? Yes, where we've got two minutes left right now until we we destroy ourselves, according to a couple of old guys. Yes, so it counts down to man-made global catastrophe. Yep. In 1982, it was as close to midnight as it had been since its inception. Mm-hmm. It was four minutes to midnight. It, the inception was in 1947. Right. Up to that point. That's the closest that's it had the been. That's the closest to, it had been. Yeah. We're, now, we're currently two, right? at two. Yes. Yes, because of uh, nuclear war and climate change. Yeah. Oh, and technology, and they listed a whole bunch of other reasons as to why artificial intelligence and you know people making podcasts about prints. <laughs> the machines are going to rise up and hey, use use our voices from our podcast to right to learn control, how to control us. Yes, to control people. Yeah. And, and other podcasts. <laughs> uh, the lines I was dreaming when I wrote this. Uh huh. Forgive me if it goes astray. Yes. May have been inspired by Steely Dan's 1977 song, Deacon Blues. It had lines, I cried when I wrote this, hmm. so sue me if I play too long. I cried when I wrote this song, sue me if I play too long. Oh, yeah. I had not heard that. That's yeah. Wow. 
Yeah. Did I know that? Because he leads, like, the first two verses lead off with that. I was dreaming when, I'm, when I wrote this, forgive me if it goes astray. Right. Second verse is, I was dreaming when I wrote this, so sue me if I go too fast. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that could go wrong, apparently, if you dream while you're writing lyrics. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, if Prince is dreaming while he's writing lyrics, usually it's a pretty good song. Whenever he says yep. something about dreaming, yeah. it's usually That's very true. pretty solid. Very true. Pretty solid. Yeah. This is just, it's a masterful pop song. It's fun. It has meaning behind it. Mm-hmm. The music's amazing. I think it starts off as like, you feel like this is going to be an anthem from the beginning. You hear that, um, you know, altered voice telling you, I only want you to have some fun. These iconic synth sounds. And cymbals on the drums. Like there's a big buildup before the song kicks off. Um, And I think you get the feeling that this is going to be something special from from the get-go. Agreed. Phil Collins is on record as saying he was inspired by the song Susudio. Right, after listening to this album while touring. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, Specifically for the song (laughs) Susudio. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that there are some similarities between the two. I think it's you and I were talking about this before that it's definitely sounds inspired by 1999, not like right. it's some kind of you know borrowing or ripoff of 1999. No, yeah, I read there's a Diffuser article on this, and they mm-hmm. suggested that the opening guitar riff may have been inspired by the 1966 song from the Mamas and the Papas, Monday, Monday. I didn't think it was the guitar riff. I thought it was the synth sound. The The way the background singers sing. Uh Uh-huh. It's similar. I would say maybe inspiration, certainly not Hmm. anything nefarious. So good. Yeah. But it was definitely, you know, and he may not even realize he was really inspired by that. He would have been a fairly young yep. child, just eight or so when that song came out. Right. Interesting. May- maybe, maybe not. If you go and look at the Diffuser article, which I'll post online, they have a video. Oh, yeah, of the Mamas and the Papas song. Of the Mamas and the Papas, so that you right. can kind of listen to that and... Yeah, compared to the I went two. back and forth, and it's definitely not a, not being ripped off. There's no I think plagiarism even, there. Even Prince had said that you know so much of his music is inspired by so many things. Joni Mitchell, yeah. Stevie Wonder. Yep. So I don't think that there's any doubt that a lot of those ins- inspiring tracks show up in his music throughout his career. I mean, how many, how many notes are there total in the world? <laughs> right? There's not that many. Right. There's only so many different combinations to make. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So the very end of the song is a point of contention for me with technology. This might push my doomsday clock towards a minute because it makes me so mad. Every time we play the song from Apple Music, you get mad. Well, here's the thing. So we ripped it from our CD. So we have the tracks in order and uh, in great quality to listen to. 1999 segue seamlessly into Little Red Corvette. The song ends. There's this Mm -hmm. sound and Prince has a falsetto kind of note that he hits as it runs into Little Red Corvette after the little child asks, why does everybody have a bomb? The, because of iTunes match and streaming, it would upload 
or match our version of 1999 that we had ripped with the version that's in Apple Music or on iTunes that fades out at the very end, which is sort of like a standalone version of 1999. So if we're on our phones or listening to something from our music library, uh, we have to deal with this fade out. And then Little Red Corvette starts quickly and abruptly, and that's not how it was meant to be heard. So I don't know if you listen to music on other streaming services. I'm sure it's the same kind of deal. Just telling you, I can click the doomsday clock, just move forward. And this really makes me upset. I'm, I'm very sorry. Well, I does. wish there was something I could do about it, but there's not. We're helpless. Yeah. So, little red Corvette. I know what we could do. What? We could stitch them together and make a single track. And make a single track of the two songs. That's true. That maybe I'll have to do that for you. We could do that. Yeah. Okay. Ooh, we're back to two minutes, it. people. We're back okay. to two minutes. We, we're averting disaster. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Then we're going to move on to Little Red Corvette. So speaking of dreaming when I wrote this, that is the actual story behind Little Red Corvette is yes. that he was dozing in and out of sleep and writing the lyrics continuously to Little Red Corvette. Yes. He was in Lisa's 1964 Mercury Montclair Marauder, hmm. not an Edsel. Okay. It was originally reported that it was an Edsel. Okay. It was not. That is an incorrect story. You will read it all over the internet. Oh, okay. That it was an Edsel, and it's wrong. Okay. Very cool. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, he was in, they would drive around always listening to music, listening to their own stuff that they were recording, and that's how the story goes, that he was writing the song and was dozing in and out of sleep and ended up with the lyrics for Little Red Corvette. Yep. It was the second single, came three months after the release of the album. Mm -hmm. It reached number six on the Billboard Hot 100 and was the impetus for the second single release of 1999 because once this started doing so well, once it became a top 10 hit, they re-released 1999. Yeah, and Prince was out touring already also, so there was a lot of momentum and they were trying to capitalize on that, obviously. It's interesting to me that on 1999, Prince gives other musicians the vocals to lead off the song on Little Red Corvette he kind of acquiesces the guitar solo to Des Dickerson. Mm-hmm. So this is really the first time that I think you can really tell that Prince is bringing a more band mentality and getting other people to share the spotlight with him, even though he's the one in control, writing the music and playing most of the instruments. Giving up the first guitar solo on that record really mm-hmm. is pretty interesting. It was also the first song that Prince recorded at his home studio after he installed a 24-track system there in 1982. This was the first song that was recorded. Very neat. So that was very cool. And the song itself is obviously a piece of American history now. Uh, After his passing, I remember seeing Chevrolet run a full-page ad in Rolling Stone that was all black, and you could see the back of an 82 Corvette, kind of dimly lit, red, Uh and it just read... Baby, that was much too fast. Chevrolet. Uh, Kudos to them. That was a class act. Yeah. Did you read the story about the woman from St. Paul who came forward after Prince's death and said that she was the inspiration for the song? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, this is something I remember reading a couple years ago. Her name was Meeling Stone, or is Meeling Stone, and said that she first met Prince in 1976 and again in 1979, and she was a student at the University of Minnesota and was locally known as, quote, Fancy Dancer. So there's also talk that she was the inspiration behind Prince's song Sexy Dancer also. But Prince started dating her in January of 1979, and she lived in a duplex, she said, in St. Paul. And she had pictures of jockeys on her wall and believed that she was the inspiration for the lyric of the song that refers to all the jockeys. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. They stopped dating each other when she left Minnesota in 1980. Okay. Uh, but there was no reason to think that she was making right. that story up, so I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Neat. Speaking of that, yeah. Trojans. Horses and condoms. Yes. Jockeys. Yep. People who ride horses. Yep. And her former lovers. Yep. There are the, you know, there's animals make a lot of appearances in these first two songs. He's got a lion in his pocket uh-huh. in 1999. the horses yep yeah yeah referring to trojan condoms of yes course. so that kind of gives us it's the lyrics are explicit without explicit language mm-hmm. the idea behind that that i read was that there was especially in the early 80s there was a lot of censorship of especially of language that was explicit okay and that it was largely racially motivated and so the vulgarity was battle. It's thought that some of the reason why he used vulgarity later mm-hmm. or near vulgarity later was because the censorship battle actually made those works more visible. Okay. And yeah, it uh, called attention to them? Yeah, it called attention to mm-hmm. those particular songs made them actually more successful. That was also similar to Maplethorpe's photos that came out in the eighties. They were very, you know, explicit. Explicit. They tried to, you know, they weren't, they called them pornographic, but it was a fine line between pornography and art. Very cool. Well, this wasn't anywhere near as far as Prince had pushed the envelope as far as sexually explicit lyrics but it is veiled in a way where I could see that, yeah. you know, he's trying to sneak something under the barrier. Right. And he used explicit pop, language pop prior, but not on anything that was going to be a single. Yeah. Yeah. So th- that was definitely present throughout this track for sure. This song was also the inspiration for Stevie Nicks' song, Stand Back. Yep. I read that too. Yeah, there's a great story on ultimateclassicrock.com that recounts it that where Stevie Nicks tells a story where she's driving in a car with her newly married husband, Kim Anderson, and she hears Little Red Corvette on the radio and starts humming along and she says, I'm singing along going, stand back. And she says, I'm like, Kim, pull over. We need to buy a tape recorder because we need to record this, her own version of this. Uh, so she said they got off the highway, found an electronic store, bought a tape recorder so she could record her ideas for 
for the song Stand Back. That's cool. And the story goes that they didn't celebrate their nuptials. They ended up staying up all night working on the song that would become Stand Back. And she says, uh, Stevie Nicks says, We get the song and I'm basically using Prince's instrumental melody. What I'm singing along is very, very different from what he's singing. I'm singing in and out of all the holes in his verses. Oh, that's Which cool. is true, but you can sing Stand Back and Little Red Corvette to each other's songs. And this is something Prince would do later with some of his songs. She called him and says, I have this song, and I think that I've got to admit that more than 50% of it is yours. Do you have any interest in coming down and hearing it? And she was in L.A. at Sunset Sound. Oh, cool. And she said, I had no expectation that he would have any interest at all in doing this. And not only did he say yes, but he was in town and was there at the studio very quickly, came down to hear it, and ended up staying and playing the keyboards on the song that went uncredited. She said she was astonished and said to herself that that's like the coolest thing that we've ever heard. And she said, it took him an hour. He gave me a little, I don't really know you hug, and he was gone like a little spirit. And since she said that she's had up to two keyboard players on tour with her, and has said that none of them could recreate what he did in the studio himself, which wow. is his two hands. Wow, that's, that's pretty so cool. cool. Yep. It's a great song. Yep. It's so the iconic the Little Red Corvette release also include a dance mix or an extended version of that song, which we'll touch on uh, in another episode. Okay, great. Yep. So it rolls right into Delirious. Yes. Which is the shortest track on the whole album at three minutes and fifty six seconds. Yes. Which is, you know, I think that on average, these songs are much longer than what we'd had on previous Prince albums. There's, you know, seven minutes and 20 seconds, eight minutes, nine minutes, Mm -hmm. long tracks that just stretch across this thing. Yeah. That's how this got to be a double album. He just refused to censor himself. That was something that Bobby Z said in his interview was that he was, maybe he just didn't want to edit these down as much. And Warner Brothers heard it and agreed they were good songs. And that's what led to the double album. Right. So we come from Little Red Corvette, a car metaphor, right into more car metaphors. Yes. He can't steer. Yes. Wheels get locked in place. Uh-huh. Wheels get locked in place. Uh-huh. Making a pass. Making a pass with mama. Can't win a race. Just can't win a race. Take me for a little ride. No brakes. Yes. All these car metaphors. This is the perfect place on this album. For, for the, the song, song to go. Yeah. And I just think if you've been a Prince fan for a while, I mean, you start learning these songs and you can place them exactly where they are in a sequence. And sometimes you might be inclined to kind of make your own sequence just because you think it might be better. But this is just so perfect. Yeah. Um, I don't think any... I've never seen a Prince fan want to change the order of songs on this album. Not not on this one, no. Yeah. Definitely a rockabilly sound. I yes. had those in, that in my notes before we watched the Bobby Z interview. Yes. did a little bit of this on previous albums too that are just kind of these bouncy happy sounding tracks and here we have the kind of high pitched synthesizers going along with it that was just a hallmark of his music for two or three years here yeah it very much feels like prince does elvis yeah a but little bit. Yes. i read that des dickerson said 
that while it sounds very Elvis inspired, uh-huh. that it really came because they were in London and they saw the stray cats oh, cool. live and they're very rockabilly sounding uh-huh. that's and weird. that that kind of was the impetus for this song. Very cool. Yeah. Like I said, it's very fun, happy sounding, and it's basically a full admission of Prince losing his mind over a love interest Mm -hmm. and not being able to control himself. So there's a lot of parts of this album where he is very controlling when it comes to women, and here is a place where it's kind of the opposite, where she's in complete control, which I thought was kind of neat. There's a longer studio version of the song that remains unreleased that has additional vocals and other verse or two that we may have to work into one of these oh, podcasts okay, coming up too. Okay. Mm-hmm. Good to know. Yeah. Good to know. There was a run up and down the keyboards near uh-huh. the end. Yes. This it's amazing. Yep, and then the little sound effect at the end with the baby's voice. So we have a child asking two tracks earlier, why does everyone why does everybody have a bomb? This is the song. This is probably my earliest recollection of listening to a Prince song. Okay. I lived in Georgia at the time and was at a friend's house, and he had an older sister who was a teenager, and we were playing basketball in the driveway, and she had a little boom box out there with a cassette tape playing, and this song was playing. It was 1999, uh-huh. and I was listening to it and kind of, you know, this is fun to play basketball to, and then I heard the baby sound at the end, and we had to rewind it a few times. Like, what is that? <laughs> Yeah, that was was Prince playing at Sunset Sound with their uh, their vast collection of (laughs) sound effects. And it was the third single everywhere it was released. Right. I remember reading that description, (laughs) which is like, well, okay. So it didn't get a release worldwide in all the territories where they release it. Everywhere it was released... It was single three. It was single three. We've been in the weirdly mixed up world of print single releases uh, during Around the World in a Day, and that kind of is what happened here, too, with different territories and trying to see what would work. It was just a different system back then because we didn't have streaming we didn't have it was a different sort of yeah even tracking world global trends and yeah you know musical interest was difficult at that point right so. i also think this is great to point out that this is a completely a prince recording from start to finish no other vocals or instrumentalists except on for the, the baby yeah except for the little baby at the end <laughs> mm-hmm. all right and then we have let's pretend we're married it got um it was also a single but it was the fourth single where it was released. It wasn't right. also, again, not released worldwide. Yeah, exactly. So this was probably an easy edit because the first half of the song, you know, is maybe a little envelope pushing, but is not explicit. Right. In the last half of the song, we get the most explicit part of the entire album, probably. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I love how this song starts if you're a fan of the Lindrum and how Prince manipulated it. Mm-hmm. This is a great example of it. There's a number of songs that kind of just start with just the Lindrum and right. his programming skills, and this is a great example. Yeah. You know, on the surface, I've got to say, it does promote monogamy. It's like, let's act like married people, and then we can do this. So, sort of. I mean, his girlfriend left him, so yeah. he's sleeping with this girl as both a rebound and sort of revenge on the girl who left him. That's true. He's sad. 
he, you know, he's got this religious convictions that say people who are unmarried should be celibate. So let's pretend we're married. Right. But he's kind of, he's using this girl. Yes. Yes, oh, he's don't... using this girl. Yeah, yeah, no. Oh, yeah, I guess so. No, he's totally using this girl. She's a rebound and she's revenge. That's what this is. I so, don't know that he ever got a chance to do that, though. This is just him trying to get her to be the one to help him forget. It's just in, the intention is there, whether yes. or not he did it. Yes, the yeah. intention is there. I yeah. agree. So, but, you know, he said, <laughs> let's pretend we're married and go all night. Uh-huh. from somebody who's not been married. Right, no kidding. <laughs> I mean, maybe the honeymoon, but... <laughs> <laughs> Look, you know, it's 10.30, honey, and... Uh, I love you, and I'm Tonight's show so is starting, so it's time to turn off the TV. <laughs> and uh, back to back, don't touch me anymore. <laughs> okay, so what was the deal with the hippies? All the hippies sing together? Yeah, well, he had he mentions hippies in a lot of his songs leading up to this. Um, yeah. So there's many points on this album that he invites all people, you know, to come together to sing along with him: Japanese, Puerto Rican, hippies, white people, black people. So I think it was just something that kind of oh, fit. He was just including people. Yes. Okay. Yes, in his song during which he's trying to take advantage of this poor girl, he's bringing people together. Oh, okay. So you can That's feel good fair. about it. Okay. So do you think that? He calls her Marsha. Yes. Let at the end during the ex- very explicit portion of the lyrics, um, he calls her Marsha. Do you think it's a Brady Bunch reference? No, I don't think so. Um, because he does a thing like this, and it's a, sort of Morris Day inspired too, where Morris Day calls women on an album Grace, and it's oh. just like a general term for a good-looking girl. <laughs> Prince does it on Insatiable, on uh, Diamonds and Pearls. It's not Marsha, it's Martha. Oh, okay. Where he says, I got a Jones, Martha. So I think it's just a term Hmm. for a woman, but that's my opinion. Okay. I was just curious. Yeah. There's uh, the sex-god dichotomy that we're so familiar with in Prince. Yeah. Uh, I'm in love with God. He's the only way. Yeah, this chant at the very end of the song yeah. that sort of wraps it up after all this ex- explicit content. Yeah. Uh, we get a confession, sort of. I'm in love with God. He's the only way. You and I know we gotta die someday. <laughs> yeah. He's gonna still have his carnal fun. Yes, every MFing night. Yeah. I think that was the Prince mantra from like this point until he was done to it doing after shows. It's sort of like the this was his de- declaration of, you know, the night belongs to me now. Fair. Yeah. So yeah, an easy edit to make this a single. Uh-huh. Think, you know, pick a part to fade out before <laughs> the explicit part starts. Yep. And you got yourself a single. Uh, Prince declares he's going to have fun every mfing night, and the song ends, and then DMSR launches. Oh, DMSR. Here we go. With the party to- this song. is where the party. This is where the party starts on the right. album. It sort of starts with 1999, but you've got the dichotomy of. Let's go have fun because the world's going to end, which could be kind of depressing, even though Prince himself says it was not meant to be a depressing song. It was supposed to be a fun song. This is nothing but fun. 
Yes. Right? Agreed. So as I mentioned earlier, this was on the soundtrack to the Tom Cruise film Risky Business. Right. Um, Which so is the- why it didn't get a single release yes. in the U.S. It did get a single release in the U.K. Yep. The first song that Prince ever recorded and released that was just made up of initials as the title, Mm -hmm. which I think is kind of cool. Dance, music, sex, romance, Mm -hmm. if you're not familiar. But yeah, this is just about getting out on the dance floor and having a good good time. Mm -hmm. And here are the four walls that I'm going to make for you in the box that you've got to be in. Dance, music, sex, romance. There you go. There you go. And I guess as long as she's got something on... It's not sinful. Right. <laughs> Girl, it ain't no sin to strip right down to your underwear. Girl, it ain't no sin to strip right down to your underwear. So I guess as long as she's not naked. Well, this is something that Prince took to heart because every protege yeah, that's right. was in her underwear. Yep. Although something. He, he did not ask them to do anything he had not done himself on stage before. I'll give him that <laughs> no, much. No, that's true. Yeah, uh, this was a song that would, um, you know, see, he would play live basically forever. Um, although he did change lyrics later in his career from Work Your Body Like a Whore. He would sing Work Your Body Like You Want Some More. Uh-huh. Um, which kind of annoyed fans, but yeah. I didn't have a problem with it all. This is another great example, as, as I was saying before, of him trying to get everyone to join in together in his kind of uptownian concept of what would make a great community. His band was made up by mixed race and, you know... Which was really unusual. It was very reading unusual. Reading that in on Husky's book, that mm-hmm. he wanted different ethnic backgrounds in his band right. was super unusual in the late... 70s that it was usually either an all-white band an all-black band an all-Puerto Rican band an all-Hispanic band all you know whatever everybody was homogenous right I think in the four years of touring prior to this album Prince kind of saw who his audience was and it was not just black people it was not just white people Mm -hmm. Um, and I think he really wanted to have a band that reflected the faces that he saw uh, watching him on stage, That's and awesome. he kind of kept that up throughout his career. But yep. he calls out, in his words, Negroes, Negroes Puerto Ricans, Ricans like he mentioned in Uptowns, white people, people Japanese, Japanese and it kind of is a reflection about the vision of his band and society that both were very diverse. Agreed. And fun. And able to clap their hands on the floor now. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? All the white people clap your hands on the four, uh-huh. and he gives them a bit to get it together, and then he counts it out for them. He does. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, the white people need a little help. That's right. <laughs> yep. Well, I think white people can count to four. I don't know that a lot of people know where the four is on a track like this. Right, yes. So that's what he was helping them out with, right? Oh, and I love the little Jamie Star is a thief. Jamie Star is a thief. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, only because you wanted him to be Prince. Well, I was part of that having fun with his alter egos. Jamie Starr was the name he used for producing the Times albums right. and Vanity Six albums. Yep. So yeah, go. He says Jamie Starr is a thief. Uh-huh. It's time to fix your clock, which is a reference to the time, right? It's time to fix your clock. Yeah, maybe even kind of a sly one, uh-huh. like fix it by listening to what I tell you to do. 
Yeah, because uh-huh. uh, we know during this tour is when the time, you know, really, it was a struggle. Yeah, he said the only before. time he ever felt intimidated on stage, mm-hmm. like that somebody else was going to do better than him, was when the time was on stage. Yes, which is why he took to doing things like throwing eggs at them from backstage <laughs> and playing pranks on them to screw them up. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's time to fix your clock. Vanity Six is so sweet. Vanity Six is so sweet. Mm-hmm, because can... they didn't overshadow him. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, and it was his love interest at the time, or yeah. probably his soulmate, I guess you could say, uh, in Vanity, who led the group. And then he finishes with, now you can all take a bite of my purple rock. Mm-hmm. Now you can all take a bite of my purple rock. Can we stop? Yeah. Go ahead, break your teeth on it. That's right. Have fun. Yep. <laughs> I didn't understand the bit at the end, the panicked, help me, someone, please help me, somebody help me. I think it's there to confuse you, Ugh. to be different, to be weird. It was unsettling. It continued when he played this live um, with the revolution, especially during the parade tour, when this song started. Uh, there'd be a scream, this uh-huh. kind of unsettling yeah. thing that would happen. Um, so I don't know if it was just part of the, you know, we had 1999 ending with the unsettling, why does everybody have a bomb, delirious ending with the little baby voice, uh, baby cooing, and on this song we have this distress call from a woman. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. I also love the, this goes down in Prince Lore also, that the background singing and hand claps by Lisa... Jamie, who is Prince, uh, Carol and Peggy, who are engineers, Brown Mark, Poochie, and The Count. So we're all waiting for the expanded version of 1999 to get remastered and released by the estate. And uh, find out who bring back Poochie, Poochie and-, and The Count. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, then we have Automatic, which is, uh, it was a single only in Australia. Mm-hmm. There is a video for it, which we'll cover in a future episode. Yeah, there is a video that was actually deemed too sexual for MTV in 1983, which makes me laugh a little bit. (laughs) I saw something floating around that, you know, we're celebrating the 35th anniversary of MTV. Help us um, remember 10 years of videos. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. pretty much. This eventually got shown on MTV, but yeah, initially they did not uh, play it. It's robotic and romantic. If you ask me if I love you, it's automatic. Right. Which is kind of a, it's got an almost robotic sound to it, which kind of goes along with 1999, but it's also, it's an automatic thing. I love you. It's yes. Automatically, you I love you. You don't even have to ask. Yeah, you, you don't even have to, if you were going to ask, you already know the answer. Right. You're asking because you want to hear it. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing, that the concept of automation fits great on what was a futuristic kind of album at the time, and it kind of led up to other concepts like Computer Blue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've got other songs on this album that mention computing and that kind of thing. So that was mm-hmm. part of the futuristic funk vibe of the album. And in 1982, if you think of what computers were like then, um, you know, there really wasn't a consumer computer even around mm-hmm. then. No. Um, so it's very, very cool. Yeah. Yeah. On the single release of this album, they edited nearly six minutes out of it. This was the longest song on the album at what, like nine minutes and 24 seconds. Uh huh. 
Yeah, I think you could also say, in addition to the, you know, you don't have to ask, it's automatic, it's also kind of bondage-inspired mm-hmm. and S&M lyrics. But it's also about Prince giving in, too, that yeah. whatever she says, he'll do. Yeah. So there's, again, as typical with Prince songs, this, I want to be in control and a surrender of some kind, too. Right. That's, that's coming in this And song. a desire for long-term monogamy. Yes. I'll rub your back forever. Right. I'll rub your back forever. Yeah. Yes. Um, then we get the spoken word bit. We get another purple reference. Yes, the, where we kind of have this panning left to right in our ears. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yes. The purple star in the night supreme. He puts her on a pedestal. No man deserves her love. Mm-hmm. And then he's got this like, oh, a little unusual bit. I, bra- I pray that when you dream, you dream of how we kissed, not with our lips, but with our souls. Yeah, and this he is... wants, a, you know, this more existential sort of connection. And... You dream of how we kiss, not with our lips, but our souls. That was very, like, Prince speak up uh-huh. through, like, even in... Forever? Yeah, like, where he would say, if I was anything else, I'd want to be the water in your bath. Uh-huh. You know, these kinds of things yeah. that you think would melt a woman's heart, but are also a little strange. Yeah. I yeah. guess is the best way to say it. Yeah. But I love the... I mean, you've got, like, computery kind of noises going uh-huh. on in the background. And this kind of steam that sounds that make it um, futuristic sounding. So it's almost like retro futuristic. Yeah. The song is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's fun. He would play this song live um, quite a bit. It returned um, more recently into live rotation during his shows, during the one night alone tour in 2002, during after shows, Mm -hmm. he would play it uh, as a medley with the song shake from graffiti bridge. That was just really great. Yeah. So I hope you can find that somewhere and listen to it. But I thought this was a great sort of, this is like the middle of the album, basically. Um, I think it's it's one of the best songs on, on the album. Great concept, and the music goes along with it. It's all Prince, with the exception of background vocals by Lisa and Jill Jones, who's just referred to in the in the lyric book as J.J. Oh, no. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah the crying at the end is kind of creepy. The mournful wails. Huh. Oh no! It may again. It made me a little uncomfortable. Unsettled yeah. me a bit. I thought, yes, it uns- it was unsettling. I guess I've listened to it now for you know thirty years, so I'm. I guess I've grown accustomed to Prince <laughs> having women moan. He would uh-huh. do that in Purple Rain. There are you know okay. This kind so of there's a difference between women moaning uh-huh. and uh, like this suffering. kind of mournful crying. Like I'm totally fine with a woman moaning in pleasure. Yeah. We'll get some of that. Yeah, well, I know we do. We get, we're, we'll get there. We'll get there. One other point I wanted to make about Automatic was, um, you know, later on in this album, we have International Lover, and we're talking about spaceships and bombs and that kind of stuff. There's a part in Automatic before the women start giving you this uncomfortable uh-huh. moaning sound where we have a spacecraft taking off. And, and the sound effect of it taking off and Prince saying, fasten your seatbelt. And 
then we get this yeah. great kind of muffled guitar solo that's played over um, the unsettling moaning. But then we also get a return down to Earth. You have the spacecraft landing again and the sound effect that kind of gives you the impression, oh, we've returned from our journey. Uh, Which I thought was kind of cool. Oh, so maybe it was a referring to something else on the album. Either that or referring to a sexual drive. Uh That's you have takeoff and then you Mm -hmm. have a landing when Mm -hmm. it's all finished. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you could read a lot into it. Well, well, you can read a lot into a lot of Prince songs, which is why we sit here and talk about it for a while. Yeah. Yeah. So we still haven't gotten to a ballad yet on this album, which is um, also kind of interesting to me that we have the first seven songs and there's not a slow track on it. Yeah, that doesn't bother me at all. No, I'm not saying it (laughs) bothers me. I'm just saying it's a little surprising. A double album where you're kind of stretching out a little bit and we've got seven songs in a row here that are all up-tempo uh, jams, and uh, like some of them very long. Um, so we roll into something in the water, parenthesis, does not compute, mm-hmm. close parenthesis. Another one of the shorter songs on the album at just four minutes long. Um, and another one of the songs I was mentioning earlier that starts with kind of this Lindrum pattern. Um, yeah, really super interesting. Yeah, with a little hi-hat thing going on yeah. and cool beat. And then these computery synth sounds start. That kind of, the tempo doesn't slow down, but it gives you the idea that this isn't going to be a fast jam. It's going to be this contemplative thing. And the lyrics bear that out with, um, you know, Prince asking a woman why you want to treat me so bad, essentially. Yeah. I thought it was an fitting follow-up to automatic because uh-huh. it does not compute again he kind of you know he did little red corvette and delirious that both had the car references references mm-hmm. and now we've got a couple of computer references yes. yeah you're in right. a row you're something right. automatic and something in the water does mm-hmm. not compute i thought yeah. they were really fitting yeah, they do. And these two kind of go together as a pair. Right. So the lyrics are, I was trying to come up with a term for how I want to refer to Prince's lyrics. Actually, it's been going on for a while by the time we got to this album. But on this album in particular, and I landed on the words, teasingly modest. Mm. Um, especially with this out, this song with him saying, some people think I got great legs. Some people tell me I got great legs. And, you know, of course, every woman following Prince at this time would agree with him. Right. Some people think I'm kind of cute, but it doesn't compute when it comes to Y-O-U. Uh-huh. Some people think I'm kind of cute, cute, but don't compute when it comes to Y-O-U. So it's like, yeah, I just think he became a master of asking questions, the rhetorical kind of lyric, can you relate uh-huh. on this entire album? Yeah. Kind of introduced that yeah. in, a, in a way that was obvious what the answer was right yeah i also thought this song sound of kind of sounds like the question that he was asking the woman who left him that led him to write let's pretend we're married okay pursue and take advantage of this other lady as you were saying Mm -hmm. yeah okay um but yeah kind of a neat approach that 
you know, I don't know how typical the word that doesn't, this phrase that doesn't compute would have been in 1981, 82. That seems very, very forward thinking to me. Right. It would have been kind of unusual. Yeah. Yeah. This is another song like Delirious where there's an alternate take, a studio take of the song, and it's almost exactly the same length, but it's even more melancholy and stark and has a little bit more of a live piano sound with it. Oh, okay. Uh, so we might have to look at that in a future episode. Too. Okay. That sounds good. Uh, he says, you think you're special? Mm-hmm. Well, so do I. Why do special women make me cry? Yeah. You think you're special? Well, so do I. He's, you know, she's great, and he sees it, and she sees it too, and uses it as an excuse to perhaps treat him poorly. Right. And uh, between this and let's pretend we're married, seems like he's got a history, a type of women who treat him badly. Yes. Yeah, eventually, after you are in so many relationships that fell apart, you have to look at the common denominator, right? And (laughs) maybe realize where the problem actually is. Perhaps. Um, But that's where I think a lot of the greatness of 1999 comes from, and some of Prince's later albums where he's writing from a standpoint of being hurt or being angry. Mm -hmm. That's where his best music comes from. Mm, Fair. And whether it was made up or not, he made it up enough where it sounds believable on this album, and that's part of what makes it great. Yeah, it doesn't have to be exactly autobiographical for it to have power and meaning. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a, we've got a Prince Primal Scream, which is just great. You're right. Yep. Uh, It was the B-side to Automatic in Australia by the by. by. Yep. So again, more proof that that you feel like these two go together that was born out in the release Mm -hmm. um, of the single. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, So finally, after almost an album full of music, we get to ballad number one. Yeah. (laughs) This is the first one. Yes. Free? Yes. First appearance of Wendy. Yes, on a on a studio on a, uh, song by uh-huh. Prince. She right. wasn't yet in the revolution. No, well, or, the well revolution wasn't, wasn't, wasn't really there, but she wasn't, wasn't really there. The she wasn't part of the band yet. Yes. So this was prior to that. She was playing at Sunset Sound. She was playing at Sunset Sound, and they invited her to yeah. come join in, sing some yep. backup vocals. Yeah, and she was a childhood friend of Lisa's, so mm-hmm. there was a connection there. Um, also, but yeah, actually, I was—I did not see it mentioned anywhere doing research for um, this podcast that it was the first studio song that Wendy contributed to. Just kind of did the math, right? It's the first first no, place we've seen I saw, her. I saw it. Did you? I saw it somewhere. It's I think not, it might have been the a Diffuser article. Okay. There's a Diffuser article about right, almost every, all of these. Yeah. So there, there are 365 days of Prince songs uh-huh. and other, and other articles. And there's like done. only three songs from this that don't have their own article. Yeah. yeah. Oh, for <laughs> so good reason. For we'll good post reason. all of them on social media. Cool. You'll be able to have access to them. Yeah. Obviously. <laughs> I mean, you have the internet, so <laughs> yes, <laughs> you'll, you'll have, have access, access to them, but I'll provide you easy access to them by posting True. links. If to you're it. listening to this podcast, you've discovered the internet. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> good for you. Um, I tried to sum the, I tried to go back and find something about this song that might be it might have a double meaning because you know we covered around the world in a day 
a number of episodes ago where we have the song America that points out a lot of the problems with our culture that we went into deeply. Here, this to me, despite me searching for it, just seems like a real appreciation for American freedoms and is very contrasting to America and other songs that would that would come later. This seems very sincere and patriotic. Patriotic, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. This maybe has my one of my favorite lines from the whole album. Oh, okay. Is that you're free to change your mind? Uh huh. And I just love that idea. Oh, just being, the idea. It's not just idea. of liberties and action yeah. that you have freedom well, for, but the free to, freedom to make a decision and decide that that's the wrong one and yeah. change your mind. Yeah, and to be okay with that. And I think that's something that is coming to light in our political landscape right now. There's a lot of people coming out. Oh, well, they they used to say this and they used to say that. And, well, you know, we're free to change our minds in this country. We're free to mm-hmm. hold an opinion at one point and change it later when we have more information. That's so, true. And that's something, like that. that's something Prince did in his life and was very public about it too. Whether yes. he said it or not, it was clear in his actions. He did. He and mind. it was interesting because Des Dickerson, who worked on this album, left the band because mm-hmm. Prince's lyrics were too explicit because he had become a new Christian. Yes. And yeah, I thought it was kind of funny that you know later prince would make such a turn in uh-huh. his career because not because he'd found christianity he'd grown up in a christian household right. and that's obvious in his music it was very influential on him but that he yeah he drove someone he, away because right. of the type of freedoms that he exactly um stood Thank up you. for yeah, I thought you were going to say that your favorite favorite lyric was "So don't sleep until you're guilty, because sinners all are we." Which I thought was great. Yeah, that's great too. But all right, I just love the idea that we're free to change our mind. And then we have a Lady Cab Driver. Right. Yes. Jill Jones makes a very important appearance again here. Yes. Um, yeah, otherwise it's Prince on all instruments, which is always cool. Yes. So he hails a cab. This is where we get into, like, this album takes a lot of different curves and then kind of dwells in these areas for a little while. We have Lady Cab Driver and then All the Critics Love You in New York that always seem like a conjoined pair to me also. Right. Um, and they're connected by uh, the city, city, sounds. city Sounds. Yes. Yeah. So I thought it was a well-written song with, you know, the trouble winds are blowing hard and I don't know if I can last. Uh-huh, Which yeah. is another great sexual entendre, uh-huh. I guess. Yes, and but he's still, he's running from something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Trouble winds are blowing, and I'm growing cold. Get me out of here. I feel I'm going to die. Yeah, he did. I always think of uh, a little segue part of Emancipation, where you can hear Prince get into a car, and he tells the driver... You know, anywhere, just drive. I got to be out of here. That's a very like old movies thing. Yes, to to just old Hollywood movie. You get well, you just get in a cab. Just get out of here. Yeah, whatever. Where to? Just go. Yes, you know, and then they screech off into the distance, and it was kind of fun knowing that Prince was a fan of 
old movies. Yep. Again, kind of teasingly modest also when he asks her, will you accept my tears to pay the fare? (laughs) This poor little sweet man in the back who doesn't Uh have the cash to pay for his... Doesn't have any way to pay except for his tears. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, (laughs) I saw it suggested that... She was a cab driver so that she could pick up her fares, oh. not just pick up her fares. Okay. And I thought that was a little too, like, on the nose because he, he says, take me to your mansion. Okay. And I always thought that was, like, a euphemism for her genitalia, not oh, a... Not that she... Not that she literally had a mansion. Well, I don't think so because uh, there's a little bit of problem I had with the lyrics, too, where... He, Take me to your mansion. Take me to your mansion. But then when he goes into his this is for uh, segue to take out all of his grievances, Uh the very first one is for the fact, for the cab you have to drive for no money at all. This is for the cab you have to drive for no money at all. And then there is, that one's for where you have to live. Which, you know, it's obviously not a mansion, or he wouldn't yeah. be trying to um, right. redeem yeah. himself through these actions with, with that. Right. So I think it's a euphemism, mm-hmm. and not that she's yeah. literally a rich woman. No, of course not. Who's driving a cab for fun yeah. to take advantage of sweet young men who can only pay in tears. Right. Yeah. Yeah, on the previous album, Controversy, Prince kind of poked at tourists also. Mm. And he does it here with future song name, as in this is for the sun, the moon, the stars, the tourists at Disneyland, the ocean, the sea, the shore. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was kind of interesting that his problem with tourists make another appearance here Mm -hmm. uh, where they did in... um, on the previous album also. And that's for the creator of man during this whole yeah. sex part. Yeah. Uh, I'm like God in the dirty talk. Yeah. Really? Yeah. That's a little that was where he was dwelling though. I know, um, but is, I don't you know, have to like it. Religion and sex is where, you know, his mind definitely dwelled in both places during yes. that. But, uh, but then also complimentary for women. So beautifully complex, mm-hmm. you know, there's, it's like, being dirty, being down to earth, and then being poetic at the same time. All these things come together during this sexual expression of things that frustrate Prince. Yeah. So I love it that in the lyric book that it's not just background vocals, Jill Jones, it's Lady Cab Driver, colon, JJ. Aww. Yeah. Uh, one final note on Lady Cab Driver at the end, after he takes out all his grievances on JJ... There's some cool little guitar work and uh, some live drumming, it sounds like. And we get Prince, like, washing his face in water or some kind of bubbling up Mm, facial sound. And then there's an elephant in the room also, which... I don't know how you don't point that out in Lady Cab Driver. Yeah, well, you know, it's it was once again, hey, there's a whole library of sounds here at Sunset Sound. Let's play with them. Yeah, just it's a hallmark of that track for me. Mm-hmm. All right, then we have All the Critics Love You in New York. 
Right, the cityscape continues here. Yes. Um, Diffuser called this grumpy funk. Grumpy funk. Grumpy funk, which I'm like, oh, that's that's very fitting. Uh I like that. Yeah, very stripped down kind of song. And this is the one in both the lyric books that we have from the original CD release and the re-release that includes DMSR. Neither includes lyrics for All the Critics Love You in New York. The title of the track is there. And there are no lyrics And it's listed. at the bottom of the page. It's at the very bottom times. of the page. So I don't know if it was a mistake twice. It seems unlikely to me mm-hmm. that a re-release would include a mistake like that. It Maybe it was a mistake the first time and they just decided to keep it for the second time. Yeah, that very much like, definitely could be. I was trying to you know see if in revisiting this song, is he trying to say that fame is futile or trying to be critical of critics but then after watching the interview with bobby z with Mm -hmm. the current it was just a matter of the people critics in new york loved prince's music and were very receptive to um the strangeness that he that came along with him yes um and that's why he loved the city and it was sort of there was no hidden agenda with this song according to him right um, he would he would play this later in his career too. Um, in 2008, on the Indigo Nights After Show album that was okay. released, he changed the name to "All the Critics Love You in Paris." Mm-hmm. And then a few episodes ago, we covered um, his 2009 appearance at the Montreux Jazz Festival, mm-hmm. where he changed it to "All the Critics Love You in Montreux." Yeah, which is a jazz festival, and he says, mm-hmm. "Time for jazz to die." It's time for jazz to die. Yes. Just like, yeah. Yes, and this is the song that stuck in will stuck in my head will stick in my head forever because uh, when we went to visit Paisley Park for the first time, the only time we've been there, well, we went twice on the one visit, but we were there on November fourth. Mm-hmm. He mentions fourth, day, fourth of day of November. Yep. We need a purple high. Fourth day of November. We need a purple high. Also in my notes. Yep. Yep. So I thought the way he sung, "All the Critics Love You in New York" was mm-hmm. haunting. There's a lot of yes. chanting yep. in, in the song, and the way he sings it is just it's haunting and so interesting and pretty and mm-hmm. concerning all at the same time in lovely ways. Yes. Yeah. Body don't want to quit. Got to get another hit. Yeah. We don't, we don't just want mere dancing. Prince is our drug. Yeah, that's what it was all about. That's what it was all about. Yeah. And I thought the police bit was really funny with the fake static. Like and I could totally voice. I could totally see him like, you know, holding uh-huh. his hand yeah. over his mouth and doing the the right. fake <laughs> sound. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which he did later on the Chaos and Disorder uh-huh. album. He did the same thing in yep. the song Xanalee. Yeah. Um, so this was the first, you know, kind of a callback to all the critics that love you in New York. Yeah. Um, even him saying, what you looking at, punk? What you looking at, punk? You know, yeah. he does a little yeah. like, like he's walking down the street and people are staring at him in New York. Yeah. And that's a place where you can, you know, cast those people aside or teach yeah, them he- a lesson for giving you the side eye. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, what are you looking at? You can do whatever you want in New York. Yes, you can. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think they'd care. No. And then we have the final song, International Lover. Yes. Uh, it got a Grammy nod. Yeah, his for, very first one. Yes, for Best Male 
vocal performance. It was best male R and B vocal oh, performance, R&B which they've which is a category that's no longer around. Right. Uh, but yeah, it was his first Grammy nomination in in any category. Uh huh. And he lost to Michael Jackson's Billie Jean. Yeah, it's hard to argue but, with that. Uh, yeah. But he was also nominated with uh, other great artists too. It's a category he'd later win for twice. In 2005, he won in that category for Call My Name from okay. Musicology. And in 2008, he won in that category for Future Baby Mama on the album Planet Earth. I thought that this song was a little like the Continental from the Love Symbol album yes. and its content. You know, obviously a lot of connection with air travel terms and right. sex, flying the seduction 747. <laughs> I thought that was a little on the nose. <laughs> yeah, I he'd mean, been. I guess he'd been euphemistic enough on this album already. Yeah, he could be a little more transparent. Yep. So you know, he's the captain of the flight. Um, mm-hmm. This was originally meant for Morris Day in the Time, which I didn't realize until I started reading a little bit about the mm-hmm. album more. Um, and Prince reclaimed it and obviously made it his own. Uh huh. Much like he did with Kiss later. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Um, and you mentioned Primal Screams earlier, and we get a lot of those on the song. Yes, Some we of the do. best ones on record. Yes. Uh, he mentions Diamonds and Pearls yes. in the chorus, which would famously become a song yep. in the following decade. Mm-hmm. Yep, but you know, in the end, it's a "Let me take you round the world," which was something he would say to many, many women mm-hmm. in his life because yep. he could do so. Yep. But hey, only if you're a good girl. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, I loved the range. We had the deep yes. vocals. We had falsetto. We had smooth. We had raspy. We had screams. Speaking, all of it's uh, speaking. All of which it's I know there. You like sometimes, yes. yes, it's it's all there. Yes, this was. You know, when the song ended, it sort of seemed like the most perfect bow that Prince had ever put on the end of an album Mm -hmm. to, like, just close it out with him saying, you know, next time you fly, (laughs) fly. Thank you for flying Prince International. Seduction airline, whatever it is. Please remain awake until the aircraft has come to a complete stop. Please remain awake. Until the aircraft has come to a complete stop. Right. Yes. Like after the song, you're released from the concept of the album. You can go take a nap and Mm -hmm. wash up, whatever you need to do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I thought it was a good closer for the album. Agreed. All right. Now we're to the point in our podcast where we've talked too much. No. Oh, okay. We have some rules. Yes, we do. Yes. We choose three things every episode based on the content that we've talked about that episode. We choose a time capsule, something that exemplifies the time in which the album was recorded or when it was released. Right. We have the sea, the thing that we liked the least, and our mountain, the thing that we liked the best. And because they are my rules, I go first. The floor is yours. Let's My hear the time, time capsule. capsule is because of the synth sounds were super 80s mm-hmm. and the references to Jamie Starr, the time in Vanity 6. Oh. I chose DMSI. Okay. 
Well, I can't argue. There, I mean, it, this is like any song you pick could fit into the time capsule it or really a mountain. Was. The sea is the one where I, I felt it's, very difficult. I felt like it was guilty to, to pick. Yeah, I know, things. me too. It was really hard to choose mm-hmm. all of these because this whole album, it was so popular in the early 80s that it, and even later that it just sounds like that time. This whole album yeah, sounds that time. It was ahead of its time, mm-hmm. and, but it sounds like that time. Yeah, I agree completely. Yep. Um, and it's so cohesive, too. If you yeah. like any of these songs, then you're going to love this album. I don't see how you couldn't. Right. For me, for the time capsule, just because I see memes about it all the time still, and it's this 1982 song referencing this vision for the future kind of, the time capsule for me is 1999. No, I think anytime you see, or you still hear it on the, on the radio today, um, the memes you see are like, you know, I spent $20 on this ticket, but I'm going to party like it's 1999. <laughs> um, I just think it has a place in history that is a little ironic because its name is, you know, 17 years after the time for which it was recorded. But I think if you ask most people who listen, who have listened to the radio in the last 25 years, hey, when was 1999 recorded? I think they could place it in the early 80s. Yeah. Agreed. All right, the C. Man, it was hard. This sucks. <laughs> These rules suck. <laughs> Sorry. Too bad. You still have to follow them. Go ahead. Um, I chose Let's Pretend We're Married. Not because it's not a great song. Okay. But because he was using her. Okay. You feel badly about that. Oh, it angers you a little no, bit. It just uh, makes me a little like sad. However, he made it pretty clear what he was doing. If she said yes. Yes, but I think the kind of women that he would have been saying this to, Mm -hmm. the character would have been a young woman. And young women are, oh, well, he says, Mm -hmm. he says he's, it's just, you know, revenge, but maybe he'll really fall in love with me. And it felt disingenuous. Well, I think you've got a 2019 progressive mind listening to a 1982 album also. I'm allowed to still say yes. that... You're free to change your mind. I, You're free to go most are you trying to change? time. Are you trying to change my mind right <laughs> no, now? Not. You're not going to change my mind on my C. I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not going to change your mind. Okay. No, I'm telling you actually what my C is. Very oh. begrudgingly... I had to pick Free. Mm. Just because of all the songs on the album, not that Free isn't saying something, because it's saying something very important and very admirable, especially for a black man in the early 80s to make a statement like this, that I appreciate the freedoms that I've been afforded. I still think it's the sugary, sweet kind of song that if I had to remove one song from the album and still feel like I was listening to 1999... That's, that's the song. That's the one. That's totally So that's fair. how I made that decision. Okay. Well, that's fine. It was a very tough decision to make. Yeah. And it was, I would say, an equally tough decision to choose a mountain because yeah. there's so much good stuff here. You're right. There's a reason why it's an iconic album and because there's so much there. So my choice was Little Red Corvette. Okay. Because... It's the first time I really noticed Prince. And it was several years after the song came out. Uh-huh. We were in, my parents had a motorhome when I was a kid. And we were in LA 
driving through terrible traffic in this gigantic motorhome. And I was just happy that there was actually decent radio stations that I could get on my little Walkman. Mm -hmm. And I remember hearing this. I think I was 13 or 14. It was like 89 or so. Okay. And... I heard the song and I was really like, I was like, oh, oh, Trojans. Oh, this was like, hmm, you know, and I kind of perked up and listened a little harder. Uh And I was like, wait, who is this? Oh, this is Prince. And that's like when I really started really paying attention to Prince more. That's a great reason to choose it as a mountain. Yeah. It just was like. The Little Red Corvette was your gateway song. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. Even though gateway drugs aren't a thing. Right. But, yeah. But gateway songs are. Yeah, sure. For me, I had an equally hard time. You could have pointed it. And you could have even told me, Josh, you have to pick free as your mountain for this album. And I could have found a way to justify it. <laughs> well, good. Um, but for me, it was automatic. Oh, okay. Um, just because of, I just thought it was a great, you know, find one word that encompasses technology and the future, but also a little bit of fear of the automated and, you know, artificial intelligence. And he came up with it on this album in the early 80s before, you know, automation was, it was a thing, but it's not like... It wasn't a thing that was like... Yeah. Removing jobs. Right. It wasn't taking people's livelihood away or somehow making, you know, it wasn't in people's homes, I guess you could say, with the exception of maybe like coffee makers or things like that. But also just going back and listening to all the times he played this live, I think it works so well as a live song um, that it made me go back and appreciate the album version even more. And even though it's the longest song on the album, I'm so glad that it wasn't cut down further because I think it easily could have been and still been great. Uh, but the fact that we got nine minutes of AUT Omatic is um, really cool to me. Yeah, it is cool. Awesome. All right. So you, I started to make a list of what we were going to talk about next time, and then you said, "No, no, don't worry. Oh, I, I got, have a list. Oh, I got this. Okay. So um, next so time, tell next us what we're going to cover. We are going to cover the videos for 1999. Yes. Which there are a handful. Um, we'll also talk about the B sides that were released. Well, let's with let's list those off in case oh, anybody want, wants yeah. to. Okay. Check them out early. These. You want to do some Anybody homework? wants to brush up before okay. our next All right, podcast. so we have 1999, mm-hmm. Little Red Corvette, Automatic. Mm-hmm. Let's Pretend We're Married. And Let's Pretend We're Married Yeah, are the four videos. So then we've got also the B-size, the non-album tracks that were actually released during this time. Uh, one of them is Irresistible Bitch that mm-hmm. was the B-side for Let's Pretend We're Married. We have Horny Toad, which is the B-side to Delirious. And How Come You Don't Call Me Anymore, which is a B-side to 1999. Mm -hmm. Um, We also have the dance mix of Your Mountain, Little Red Corvette. So you'll get to dive into the extended version of that song. And then there are a handful of outtakes that were recorded during this period that may or may not have been considered for the album that I think are important to take a quick listen to. The first being Moonbeam Levels that was released on uh, the first compilation of Prince's music after he passed away. It was recorded in 1982, was not known to be considered for this album, but has a distinct feel that it was recorded during the same time okay i do want to take a quick look at something in the water does not compute the mm-hmm. alternate version that i mentioned before maybe delirious the alternate version that is circulating that's got like another verse in it that's fun to listen to and then three other tracks those being chocolate extra lovable 
Uh, extra lovable will make you think that uh, Let's Pretend We're Married is pretty tame. <laughs> and a song called Purple Music. Okay. So we've got a chock-full episode we uh, sure do. next time after this chock-full episode. Uh, and then in few, we've got a couple, at least one or two more episodes in 1999 where we'll, we'll talk about associated artists. Yeah, we got a couple of associated artists mm-hmm. we're going to talk about. And yeah. then maybe a concert or maybe something. Maybe a concert. Maybe we'll do that. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for spending a good long time with us here today. We, it was a long album. There's a lot to talk about. It's iconic. So there's so much to say. We're so glad you spent some time with us. We really appreciate it. So, you know, if there's something that you're, uh, you want to know, hit us up on social media, send me an email, whatever. Yeah, or we'll, add to the, the discussion of 1999. There yeah. are, there's so much that we didn't even talk about right. on this album. If there's, there, what did, did we miss your favorite thing? Did we not like your favorite thing? You know, tell us all about it. Do. We want to hear from you. Thanks so much. See you next time.